Yeah, thank you. Deanna and Nicholas, Deanna wrote that song, and again, we appreciate the tremendous amount of work and effort that goes into the music here at West Coast Baptist College, and thank you for that beautiful song. We'll take your Bible, let's go to Matthew chapter number two, if you will, Matthew and chapter two. Notice verse 1, if you will, Matthew chapter 2. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. True wisdom is not as unattainable as you may think. Now, your exams may have revealed a lack of wisdom. Some of you still have a ways to go, as is evidenced by this week. The truth is, however, we never get it all. We never learn it all. We never know it all. But God does command us to get wisdom. In fact, if you want something for Christmas, this ought to be at the top of your list. Because God says in Proverbs 4 and verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. So God says of all the things you could get, of all the things that you could receive, of all the things you could attain in life, make sure you get wisdom. It's the principal thing. And with that getting of wisdom, get understanding. Well, how? How do we get wisdom? How do we obtain understanding? Well, Job answered that question in chapter 28 and verse 28. He said unto man, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. So God says, get wisdom. That's the principal thing. With all that get in, get understanding. Job says in the word of God, that the fear of the Lord is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Very similar to what Solomon, perhaps the wisest man humanly that ever lived on planet Earth, said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So if wisdom is to fear God, if understanding is to depart from evil, then Solomon hit it right on the head when he said, the conclusion is to fear God and keep his commandments, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every sacred thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So, how are we doing? Now, we're not talking about our GPA right now. Let's forget about that. You can't do anything more about that right now. Uh, I preached the other day on thou thyself hast decided it. <laughs> We're not really talking about your IQ. We're not talking about that. We're talking about what is our attitude toward God? What is our attitude toward evil? Now, we know nothing really of the educational background of these men in Matthew chapter 2 who are called the wise men. 
Uh, we don't know if they were academically way up there. We don't know if uh, they were raised around uh, scripture. We, we really know almost little, very little about these wise men, but I want you to see three critical components in their life before we go today. They're called the wise men. So why were they wise? Why are they called wise men? Let's see. First of all, I believe they were causative men. So many today live life without a purpose. If they do have a cause, it seems to be a very temporary cause or a very temporal cause. Very few people live for the long term. Very few people live with the future in mind. They live very little of their life with the eternal in mind. Why would we say these men were causative? Well, I think we would discover in this text that they had a studious cause. In verse number two, they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. Well, when I look at the sky, I see lots of stars. Obviously, these men had studied the stars. These were studious men. These were men that had not only studied astronomy and knew the stars and their placements, but they also had studied the Word of God and what it had to say about that star. Way back in Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17, they no doubt had read that there shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. These wise men knew the prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah. They understood what the Bible had predicted with respect to this star and with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to earth. They no doubt had read many times the writer Isaiah in chapter 9 when he said, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. And they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. They had studied the scriptures. These were men with a studious cause. Are you wise? Do we have a causative approach to life? Is our cause that to study the Word of God? The psalmist said, the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and of silver. But they not only had a studious cause, it was coupled with a spiritual cause. Because in verse 2, they, they've seen this star and they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. They understood the, the prophecies. They understood the coming of the Messiah. They understood what they were looking for, but notice why they were coming to worship him. The Bible is a book about him. As we study the Bible, we do it not simply for a grade. We study the Bible not just to graduate from Bible college. We study the Bible not just to have some academia behind our name. We study the Bible because the Bible is about him. In fact, the writer John in his gospel said, there are also many things of which the Lord did, which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world could not contain the books that should be written. 
But John said in chapter 20, verse 31, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you might have life through his name. Okay, you took some Bible classes this semester. Maybe you're even finishing up a one-year Bible degree. Several of you are finished now with your coursework for your bachelor's degree or your master's degree, but how well do we know him? These were studious men, but they had not only a, a studious cause, they had a spiritual cause, like the apostle Paul who said that I may know him. No doubt somebody's going to ask you when you get home, how did you do this semester? How are your grades? How did you do on your exams? Did you pass all your courses? And hopefully all of you will be able to respond in a positive way to those questions, but God would like to know how well do we know him? For this cause also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, Paul said, and to desire that he might be filled with all knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that he might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Are we causative this morning? Are we wise because we have a cause that revolves around knowing God's word and knowing the one in the word, God himself. The wise men were causative men, but notice they were committed men. Most of you in this room have a cause. Many of you have left home to follow that cause. You've traveled a long ways to be in Bible college because of that cause that God has put in your heart. That calling of God, we sometimes call it, that, that mission that God has prepared for you, that place where God wants you to serve. We've all desired to, to follow his will, as we heard sung so beautifully a moment ago. But that's not always an easy thing to stick to. We sometimes are, are, are challenged by the cause of serving God. We're, we're challenged by the cause of living our life for him, of surrendering to his will, of doing his will. But boy, the day-to-day -day of that sometimes gets to us. So we notice that these wise men, they were, they were causative men, but they were committed men. And notice their commitment. It was a fearless commitment. In verse 3, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star had appeared. These wise men began to understand that there were some threats now to this one that they were seeking. And no doubt uh, there was a, a period of fear in their hearts and their lives as they go forward in this cause. Maybe they're a little oblivious to Herod's motive at this point. Maybe they're not exactly sure why he's asking all these questions, but they're soon to find out. Herod wanted to kill this supposed king of the Jews. Herod did not want him on his throne. 
And there had to be some fear in the hearts of those who sought him, of those who sought to please him and worship him. Are you walking this morning in fear? Or are you walking in faith? God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people that have set themselves against me round about, the psalmist said. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. If we're going to stay true to the cause that God has placed in our heart and life, we've got to have a commitment. That commitment must be a fearless commitment, but we also see a focused commitment. In verse 8, he, Herod sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. This was a focused commitment. No doubt these wise men, I, 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 I do not know, uh, like Brother Houck and some others who have studied this uh, passage, but, but, but there was a long period of time that they had been traveling. This was not a quick trip across town to go find the, the Messiah. Uh, this was something that they had been, been thinking about and they had been studying and, and now they'd been traveling, following the star and no doubt there'd been some discouragement along the way. Perhaps there'd been those who tried to get them to deviate from their cause. No doubt physically they were weakened by the time or the distractions or even the threats. If we're going to live out the cause that God has given to us, it must be accompanied by a commitment. Wherefore, seeing we also are so compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience, run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of God. For consider him who suffered such contradiction of sinners, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds." Here was a fearless commitment. Here was a focused commitment. Here was a financial commitment. In verse 11, when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. A financial commitment. You know, if God is truly God in our life, why is it so hard for us to give him our money? If he's really God in our life, if we really are living for his cause, why is it so hard for us to give him time and energy? Why do we so guard our, our life, our, our future, uh, our, our schedule? Why, why are we so guarded about what we want to do if truly he does have us? Isaac Watts wrote, we're the whole realm of nature mine. That were present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Here was a financial commitment, but here was a fulfilling commitment. Go back up to verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Can I tell you something, young people? Following God, doing his will in your life, 
staying on course with the cause that he's put in your heart, you're not going to miss anything. You're not going to get cheated out of some part of life. The devil tries to tell us, hey, you're sure missing it. Man, you're wasting the best years of your life in that Bible college. Man, you're blowing it. Everybody else having a great time. You're going to get home and somebody's going to say those very things to you. But can I tell you, you're not getting cheated by serving God. You're not missing out on something by saying no to the world and yes to Christ. The commandments of God are not grievous. The way of the transgressor is hard, but Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You're not missing out on anything. Keep following the cause. This was a fulfilling commitment. There'll be times in in Bible college, there'll be times as you go out into ministry where you'll think, is this worth it? I mean, all of the time and the energy and the finances that I'm putting into serving God, is it really worth it when everybody else seems to be enjoying these things that I'm supposedly giving up to follow his cause? Is it worth it? You'll be tempted to maybe step off the God-given path. When my father-in-law passed away, he died at the age of 95, and my wife and I had taken care of him the last seven and a half years of his life in our home. We flew his body back to Rockford, Illinois, where he was buried, and my brother-in-law, his name's Ben, and Ben's a great, great person. He got saved when he was a young boy, riding the Sunday school bus with my wife, and And he went to church for a good portion of his young life. When he graduated high school, he, I believe, knew that God wanted him to go to Bible college, but he decided not to go. He wanted to get into the medical field, and so he enrolled at a university there in central Illinois, Bradley University. But his first week of college, before he even got there, he had an appendicitis and he had to have surgery. And so he missed the first week of college, came in late uh, to Bradley there and came into a dormitory that was quite different than even the home that he had grown up in. His, His family was not Christian. My wife's parents were not Christian at that time. And so he was not living a sheltered life by any means, but he was exposed to a lot of wickedness in that secular dormitory, and he realized this was not the place for him. He came back home and lived at home, and the next semester enrolled in Rockford College and studied to be an engineer. All the time, I believe that Ben knew that he was fighting God's purpose in his life. We talked to him many times and tried to encourage him and prayed for him that he would come to Bible College, and and yet he was going to church and and, uh, living a a life that was, you know, pretty much above reproach. And he wasn't living out in sin, wasn't out drinking and those kinds of things or being immoral. He got married after college and soon after was divorced. But he got a great job and he remarried an unsaved gal and she was also very smart. And they both have had great jobs all their life. My brother-in-law is an engineer. 200 people every morning wait for him to get to work so that he can let them know what they need to do. 
He's a very high executive in a very um, wealthy business in Minneapolis, Minnesota. His wife has her own business. They have one son. He's now out of college, served as a tennis pro for a number of years, and a tennis instructor, professional instructor. They have it all. Beautiful home, vehicles, all kinds of things they do in the wintertime in the snow, and just really enjoy the outdoors. From the world's perspective, they have a, a good life. As we buried my father-in-law, Ben pulled me aside, kind of behind the little tent there where the family was gathered. And he said, John, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. He said, I just want to say a couple things to you. He said, first, thanks for taking care of my dad. I really appreciate it. And I said, hey, it's a pleasure. It was an honor to have your dad in our home for these last seven and a half years. My father-in-law got saved when he was 62 and shortly after his wife passed away and we enjoyed seeing him, him grow and, and uh, develop even in his Christian life late in life. I said, Ben, that was an honor. And he looked at me and he said, I envy your life. He said, I guess what I do is sort of important. I mean, 200 people every day wait for me to give mortars. He said, I make a lot of money. I live in a nice house in a beautiful suburb. I drive nice cars. I get to do pretty much whatever I want to do. But he said, you're doing something eternal. And I envy that. Can I tell you something, young people? You're not going to miss out on something. You're not going to get short cheated here. You're not going to get shortchanged serving the Lord. These men had a cause. They were causative men. They were committed men. But then I want you to see, finally, they were cautious men. They were cautious men. And perhaps this is what drew me to this passage today for our final chapel. But I see in verse 12, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. These were cautious men. Oh, they had a cause, and they were committed to that cause. But notice, sometimes I think a person like that tends to say, okay, I know where I'm going. I know what I need to do. And we almost block God out of our life. But here were men who were committed to a cause, and yet they were cautious men. I see a sensitive heart here, being warned of God. When's the last time you heard a warning from God in your life? Sometimes we want to hear God's voice about the cause. Lord, show me, show me the direction I need to go. Show me the classes I need to take. Show me the girl I need to marry. Show, the, show me the place I need to go and serve. I mean, we, we want God's voice to be heard when we're seeking his will. But 
do we turn a deaf ear when he's trying to warn us? Can you discern his voice? We in this room are a little older than Samuel when he first heard the voice of God. He mistook that voice for Eli, the priest's voice. When he heard that, that call to his name, Samuel, Samuel, he, 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 he got up and he went to Eli's room and he said, uh, here I am, thou callest me. And Eli said, no, I didn't, I didn't call you. Go lay down. And Samuel goes back and he hears that voice again and he goes back to Eli and same thing. No, I didn't call you. Go back and lay down. And he hears it again the third time and he goes to Eli and Eli perceives that the Lord had called the child. And so now he helps this little boy understand something. There's a voice that you need to listen to that belongs to God. And if you hear your name again, simply say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Samuel becomes a mighty prophet of God simply because he had a sensitive heart to the voice of God. But notice with this sensitive heart, there was a sacred heeding. In verse 12, they departed into their own country another way. Now, after traveling all this way to get to Bethlehem to find this child, Jesus, to realize now they have seen the Messiah, now to take a detour on the way home is probably the last thing they wanted to do. I mean, all of a sudden now they've, they've succeeded in their mission and, and, and now they want to get home perhaps and tell the good news as they get home. But God says, no, I want you to go another way. Are you following God's way or your way? Sometimes we won't understand God's way. Sometimes it won't all make perfect sense. Sometimes it will seem almost ridiculous what God is saying, but we've got to be sensitive and we've got to be listening to that sacred voice of God. God has a plan. Several years ago, I was preaching in Indianapolis and I had an early morning flight out of Indianapolis I was going to leave at 6 o'clock a.m., and I was about 45 minutes from the airport. I had rented a car, and, and I was flying from Indianapolis up to Canada for a meeting starting that next evening. So, man, I set my alarms, and I wanted to make sure that I got up on time and could get to the airport, and so I got up about 3 o'clock and quickly dressed and showered, and well, showered and then dressed, and... and uh, had everything packed, jumped in that car, and of course it's, it's, it's dark, it's early, early morning. And, and, um, and so I had to, I, I had my, my GPS on my phone, I, I punched in the airport. By the way, those of you that are leaving, I'm getting you out in time for the shuttle. I'm told some of you have to leave at 11.30, it's 11.25, so let me finish my story, thank you. So I punched in the airport, GPS, you know, airport. And it pulled up the airport, so I hit it. And I started driving to the airport. But I didn't know there are two airports in Indianapolis. And I went to the wrong airport. I got to this little tiny city airport. And it's not even open. The gate is locked in front of the airport. And I'm like, oh my. Well now, 
I've, it's been 45 minutes to get to the airport. Now I'm 45 minutes from the, the real airport. So I'm driving quickly. I'm looking at my clock and I'm thinking, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I said, Lord, please help me. I'm preaching tonight in Canada. I've got to, I've got to make this plane. It was a flight out of Indianapolis to Chicago and then on to, to Canada. I said, Lord, I've got to make this flight. There's probably not too many flights to Canada. And so I, I'm hurrying as best I can. I get to the airport 20 minutes before my flight was to leave. I quickly checked in the car. I ran to the terminal. I ran to the counter. I, I, I waved my ticket in front of the lady's face. She said, run, run that way, run that way. Just go that way. Your gate's that way. I ran. She said, run till you hit that wall and then go left. Well, I ran for about like 200 yards. There was a wall there, but there was nothing left. There was no place to go left. Uh, but so anyway, I eventually found where I was to go. I got through security. I'm, I could see my gate. I could see it as I'm standing in security. I can see my gate. And people are, you know, getting on. The last ones are getting on. And I'm like, come on, people, hurry. You know how it is. Some of you will experience it today. Some of you are saying, hurry with this message. I've got a flight to get. So I see the gate. I get through security. Just as I do, the lady closes the door. Now, once they close the door, they don't open the door. I knew that. And something just said, don't worry about it. I said, well, it's easy for you to say, whoever you are. <laughs> so I went and stood by that door, and I could see the pilot down there and the co-pilot, and I'm waving to them, you know. <laughs> Pretty soon the jet bridge pulled away, and the lady came back up the, the, the bridge, and she opened the door, and she saw me there, and she said, were you supposed to be on this flight? And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, I'm sorry. I said, yeah, me too. <laughs> I said, is there another flight going to Chicago in time for me to make my connection to Canada? And she said, well, let's look. And she looked, and there wasn't. I said, well, what do you suggest I do? She said, well, I would suggest you look at some other airlines. So I sat down. I got on my phone. I began to pull up some other airlines to see if I could find another flight. And I wasn't doing very well, so I, I went back out through security and went to another airline counter and inquired if there was another flight to my destination, and I found one. Instead of going through Chicago, it was going through Dallas. And it was actually going to get me to Canada five minutes sooner than I was going to get there originally. It was a shorter layover in Dallas. And I thought, yeah, thank you, Lord. And so I said, sign me up. Get me on that flight. It was going to leave in about 30 minutes, and I had to go back through security. I said, get me on that flight. She said, okay. She's, she's typing it all in. And, and, and as she's printing the tickets, I said, by the way, how, how much is this flight? She said, $996. And I had already lost my ticket to the other place because I wasn't flying the same airline. I said, oh, wow, that's a lot. She said, do you want to go to Canada or not? I said, I do. I took the ticket. I made that flight. I got to Canada. I never called the pastor. In fact, I never told anybody till just now what happened. But when I got to Canada, I was going through customs. As you're standing in customs, 
they have this big board, this big digital board that tells you where your luggage is on the other side of customs. So that when you get through customs, you can go to the right baggage claim. And I see my flight that it's come in from Dallas and where my baggage is. And I'm thinking, where's that Chicago flight? It wasn't there. That Chicago flight never flew. And you know, I learned something that day. Sometimes, yeah, it might cost you a little. It, it, it might be a little bit of trouble. You might not totally understand the process. But you know what? If you listen to the still, small voice of God, you'll get to your destination. You'll get where God wants you to go. And I urge you, as you walk out these doors in a minute, to have a sensitive heart and a sacred heeding over the break. Because God has a cause for your life, and you know it. Amen. Get committed to it, and then be sensitive to the Lord. Be cautious as you listen to the Lord and his leading in your life.